to the Caspian Podcast, the podcast with the Caspian Post, with me, Mark Elliott. And welcome to another edition of the Caspian Podcast. Today we're talking to Fuada Hundov. He's very modest about it. He calls himself a researcher, but for me, he's utterly the most brilliant tour guide uh, that there's ever been in in Baku, Azerbaijan. I, I know you're going to want to come back on that, but don't be so modest, Fuad. Um, now, <laughs> I, I first met Fuad back in the late 1990s when I was researching my guidebook. Fuad at that time was the only tour guide who had real human stories about about the buildings and about the the whole history of of Baku and Azerbaijan he'd rescued a whole uh, series of historic photos uh, to which he uh, added enormous extra value to his tours and i think he's gone from strength to strength i see i see on wikipedia your your as a tv uh, presenter and many other things so welcome Fuad. it's a great great delight to see you again after many years mark it is my pleasure to see you Well, uh, of course, with years, people tend to change, but I'm happy to see the same Mark Elliott that I had a pleasure to meet in Baku back in late 1990s, early 2000s. Once again, people, a person full of enthusiasm, the author of the guidebook that still is valued by uh, all the tourists coming. Oh, come on, Fuad. We need to talk about you, not me. <laughs> uh, oh, it's you. very nice you of know, you. When people are driven by, pa- driven by passion, the passion produces result. And that applies to both of us, I believe. And I, I remember describing you as the Ben Elton of Azerbaijani uh, because you had uh-huh. so much energy. So, and, and, and you do, you, you, you're, you're an inspiration to a whole genu- generation of, of tour guides. But anyway, enough of, enough of the compliments. I, I, I know that a particular interest uh, today is because last week it was um, uh, International Women's Day. And Azerbaijan's been a real um, trailblazer in a, a strange way for, for women's rights. I gather it was the first um, Muslim country to give women the right to vote. And in fact, at least in principle, if not in practice, that vote, uh, that right existed before it did in Britain. Have, have I got that right? Well, it was the suffrage. The suffragist yeah. movement was very strong, and, and the same Winston Churchill was far not that likely to just grant it like that. Uh, in the United States, it was in 1921 or 1922, I may be mistaken. In Azerbaijan, it was in the period of the First Republic, which was 1918 to 1920. But as you rightly pointed out, Mark, uh, the Republic was uh, kind enough to grant the right to vote to Muslim women. But it never had a chance to practice it yeah, because it was swallowed by the Soviet army in 1920, just 100 years ago. And interestingly enough, the Soviets provided suffrage to everyone. Yeah, so yeah. this way or another, from gender standpoint, uh, there were lots of interesting changes under the Soviets. But in a way, Azerbaijan had a pioneering role on a number of gender issues. And mm. uh, once again, as, as a researcher... Um, for years of my research, dealing with people, uh, dealing with lots of very interesting women characters, I found out that, once again, oil is far not the greatest wealth of Azerbaijan. One of the real trump cards the country still doesn't use to its full extent is gender. Hmm. Because um, Azerbaijan was the first place where a woman stepped on stage in 1912, 
for the first so place. Was, hang on, the first place in in what? First in, place in, in the Muslim world. I mean, I'm in the context of the Muslim world. I see. Yeah, yeah. It was the first place where a Muslim opera diva, Shavket Mamedova, wow. stepped on stage on uh, April 13th, 1912, in the Tagia Theater to perform classic repertoire, Italian songs and stuff wow. like that. And I have to be frank with you. The society was not there. The audience was not there that to, not there yet at the moment to accept it. Mm -hmm. So her first performance, her debut, proved to be almost fatal for a 15-year-old girl who had to flee the theater afterward. <laughs> Gosh. Mobsters. Well, but look, in the Soviet time, she became um, the founding mother of the Azerbaijani vocal art. Mm. And interestingly enough, her almost tragic debut occurred in 1912, a hundred years after a city where the first opera diva was forced to flee the stage was welcoming Eurovision. Oh, Look at the transformation wow. in 2012. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, that... So, uh, the reason why I'm so kind of attached to personalia, to personalities in my research is that oftentimes you can trace the, well, uh, changes in the society, the transformation in the society through the story of one person. Mm -hmm. So the story of Shovket Mamedova, a daughter of a cobbler in Tbilisi, who was provided scholarship by a local oil baron, Tagiev, to study one year in Italy. But then he discontinued her scholarship when he got to know that she got an affair with a, with an engineer over there. <laughs> was he jealous? Was, yeah. <laughs> well, probably. But but she married this guy anyhow in Kiev. And then uh, her main studies were in Kiev. And then she returned to Azerbaijan in the early period of the Soviet time when really lots of changes were made. And she she made she made she made a huge accomplishment both yeah. in terms of her performance and in terms of putting the traditional Azeri music on notes. Yeah. Well, and um, finishing her uh, education in Italy together with Bulbul, the father of Polat Bulbul, only the famous singer from Karabakh. So uh, she was an outstanding performer. She was an excellent organizer, a beautiful manager. And by the end of the day, when she left the stage, she trained a cohort of local outstanding opera singers, not only opera, but variety mm -hmm. singers. So one person, and she yeah. died exactly 40 years ago too. Well, I, well, I love, uh, I, well, Ford, I love that, that classic um, saying that I think was was from the early 20th century in Baku, where they said, um, if you uh, if you educate one boy, you educate one man. If you educate one woman, you educate a whole family. In fact, a generation. I, I like that. Actually, actually, this saying is attributed to this gentleman. The, the very same. I can see that. Yes, <laughs> that was that was that was the rationale behind his school for girls that he established 120 years ago exactly. And this man was also a son of a cobbler. He probably had the solidarity to the kids of cobblers that he sent. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, there seems to be quite a cobbler thing going Mascala, on. But the son of cobbler and contractor by his original occupation really managed to propel himself into the top of Azerbaijani business elite due to oil boom. He was, well, even a person like Dmitry Mendeleev raved about him, uh, noting him among the pioneers of local oil industries. Wow. So this man 
grew to the level of the real counselor of the state, which was a Russian official rank for a civilian serviceman that was adequate to at least one star general if you convert it into military hierarchy. Yeah, so we're so, talking yeah. here, let, just, just to put this in context, we're, we're talking here about the time of the Russian Empire around exactly. about the, 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 turn of, the turn of the 20th century. Beginning the 19th to 20th century. Yeah. And the guy even had a march dedicated to him, which was General Tagiev, General Tagiev. Oh, right. So that was who, who was the composer? March. Yeah, Canadian. Well, an author okay. named Canadian composed a march to him, but now sit strong, Mark. I want to show you General's signature. This is Tagiev's signature. Oh, so was he pretty much illiterate? He was illiterate. Not pretty much, but he was just illiterate. Good Lord. And, well, the problem was that being an illiterate guy and making amassing a huge fortune, he had a possibility to change something in his society, mm. which required not only money, but a great deal of political wisdom and perseverance, which he also pretty much manifested. And his idea, he, the man was an absolutely rigorous and devout Muslim. You will never find any picture of him in a European dress or suit, or even without this traditional fez. Yeah. But being a devout, while uh, rigorous Shia Muslim, he was asking one simple question that hasn't lost its importance to this day. And the question was, why are the Muslim nations behind? Mm, mm. And the only answer this illiterate guy could find to that question was they do not educate women. So mm. that led him to this famous saying that if you want to educate your nation, you'd be better off starting with girls mm -hmm. because educating a boy, you get one person educated. Yet educating yeah. the girl, you get an educated family. And it took him five years of strenuous efforts where he had to walk a tightrope between concealed reluctance of Russian authorities of the day on the one hand, mm. and absolutely desperate and vehement resistance of Muslim clerics, yeah. who were very strong in those days. And interestingly enough, the Russian Empire was using this obstinate Muslim Shia clergy as an excellent tool to manage the populace. That's interesting whose traditions are alien to you, whose mentality is different, but you have to manage these people. So they found the clerics an excellent interface to manage the populace. And so, so, Tegiev, and so Tegiev was sort of single-handedly... Um, In a way, yeah, except a for a couple way. of smart uh, clerics who were ostracized by their own surrounding. So, uh, well, so uh, Tegiev was challenging the traditions in a way, and um, the argument he was coming across uh, from the clerical side was that our mothers never went to school, our grandmothers never went to school. What the hell should our daughters go to school for? To put it now in this, a simple way. And so the school, you're saying that the very first school, for secular school for women in the Muslim world was then in Baku. That's exactly what is written on the picture of the school. Right, yeah, and so, that building, as I understand it, the building still stands. Oh, yeah, it still stands. It's the Manuscript Institute of the Academy of Sciences of Azerbaijan. But in the short-lived period of the First Republic, that was the building of parliament. And that was exactly the place wow. where Azerbaijani women were franchised and got suffrage 
a little bit prior to the women of the United Kingdom and the United yeah, that's States. That's really something special. Yeah. Now, now yeah. one of the things that we, we were talking about um, before we came on air was, was about how uh, the 8th of March, which is International Women's Day, is one of the few Soviet-era celebrations which has somehow survived uh, into... Yeah into the independence era, not just, I think that, that we, we can rightly say that that's across many, many former Soviet states. Is it, would we be right to say that? Actually, well, uh, I, can, I can speak of Azerbaijan, but I think that applies to majority of the states. Uh, it is an official holiday. It's a day off. And, and, I, and I, 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 I think, I think just, just to, to fill in background for people who haven't been to the region, I just wanted to, to, to say, uh, there are many stories I have about how uh, people coming from outside completely misunderstand how important this is. I, I had a friend who was dating an Azerbaijani girl, and on the 9th of March, she came to me absolutely heartbroken, saying, he hates me. He hates me. I said, well, what's happened? He didn't give me anything on Women's Day. And I, I, I burst exactly. laughing because the, that's, nobody that's in the West realizes... holiday for men. It's it's a heyday for flower vendors. Yes. <laughs> so now they they make the uh, assumption that Clara Zetkin or Rosa Luxemburg or whoever invented this day was driven by the flower mafia because that's <laughs> the prices for flower go while well, skyrocket and everyone brings these mimosa flowers. I can show you that that are really have wonderful scent. I have them at home because I have someone to congratulate tomorrow. So it is uh, odd as it may seem, you know, holidays like November, well, uh, the seventh of November, the day of October Socialist Revolution. Oh well, of course that's gone. Or yeah. The first of May, the day of solidarity of workers of the world. Those are gone. Mm. But there are two holidays that at least persist in Azerbaijan. One of them is 8th of March, which is International Women's Day. And the other is May the 9th, which is the day of victory in World War II. So well, those I mean, that, two, yes, yeah. yeah, they persist. They, they prove to be viable, even though, you know, the Soviet system is gone and no one even knows the roots of this holiday. It's just a matter of uh, congratulating all the women. And from this point of view, Azerbaijan is this very interesting uh, gender accomplishments that go back to the early 20th century. And one of them was the Tagiev school, which he succeeded to establish by promising to the Russian authorities to name it after Impress Alexandra Zarina. Ah, that's how, so that's school, how he sneaked it past the Russian authorities. Exactly. So he actually he linked it to the coronation of the last couple of the Russian emperors, and he um, actually he uh, requested the honor to name his school to be after Her Majesty Alexandra Fyodorovna, the last Russian impress. So the school got a very bizarre name, Russian Tatar, which is a Russian name for Azeri, Russian Tatar, the Alexandrian Russian Tatar female boarding school. Wonderful. Now we've light. He also sent his secretary to all the religious authorities in Iran, and he bribed them all, so corruption may play a positive role, to get a written consent that there is nothing in Quran that prohibits women to get educated. Wonderful. So when any of the local zealots was blaming him with violation of traditions, he said, take it easy. 
I'm an illiterate man, but tell me the name of a cleric you respect. And the guy said a name of a certain Shia leader and Targiv had the letter signed by that leader blessing him Wonderful. to establish the school. So it took him a great deal of efforts, but on October the 9th, 1901, the revolution occurred. The first secular school with exclusively Muslim student body and exclusively Muslim faculty, hmm. mainly composed of Tatars, the real Tatars. Oh, I see. Well, so they were they were Tatar Tatars rather than Tatar Azerbaijan. They were Tatars rather than Caucasian Tatars. <laughs> right. Well, was opened for the girls, but the language of tuition was exclusively Russian. Oh, okay. Because at that time there were no curricula in Azeri, hmm. nothing like that. And Tagiev succeeded in establishing this school. And the most interesting thing was the cartoons, where on one of them he's getting congratulation addresses from Paris to Calcutta for establishing the school. Here you can see a zealot trying to obstruct the girls from getting into the school, which was also the case. Yet the most interesting one is this, sorrow and mourning in the family of the girl going to a school. The, the, the baby's lost. To the school. <laughs> the main problem was not the clerics and not the Russian authorities. It was mentality. Mm-hmm. It was traditions that this illiterate man managed to overcome. But behind every great man, there is a law. You must, there must be a great woman. So Tangi was blessed by one. It was his second wife, who was over 40 years his junior. His elder son from the first marriage married her elder sister and stupidly divorced. The father married the younger sister and made a great family with five kids and one real baby. This one real baby was the school because she was an educated woman. She was a daughter of a Russian general of Azeri descent. So she was educated herself. And when Tagiev married her, he realized the advantage of having a married, an educated wife. And she came up with know-how from, well, the organization of the training process to classes, uniform and stuff like that. And interestingly enough, if you look at the school in the first years of its existence, you can see that all the students and all the teachers are veiled. Yeah, the training process was the same. It was a boarding school, but both the faculty and students are veiled because that was the tradition. Well that, that, that brings us well that uh, forward that brings us we, we're running out of time but that brings us to one of um the most interesting thing uh, I'm I'm interested to how a tourist or a visitor to Baku could experience um some some memory of this and and, and there is a monument I'm sure that you you could tell exactly, us about Exactly exactly I'll tell you about that but interestingly enough when Tagiev got his daughters to the Smolny Institute in Petersburg in 1907 and saw the uniform there he changed the uniform in his own school. So from 1908 onwards, both the students and the faculty got a different dress code. So 18 years of existence of the school was a great proof of the possibility of changes, but not in a revolutionary manner, yet through transformation and evolution. And the Soviets came up with revolution and they were revolutionizing everything they touched upon. And that was exactly the way they appro- approached the issue of veil. So they started virtually forcibly unfacing local women, 
through the special women clubs, well, through promoting this idea. And since they started really pushing it, it got a backlash, inevitably. Actually, always the way, that isn't it? That was a horrible case in 1926 when a girl was killed by her father and brother for taking off her veil, for going to the Soviet school, and the worst, for calling the girls in her neighborhood to follow her. So the father and brother considered that an insult and killed her. And look what the Soviets did. They turned this criminal case, this honor killing, into a huge political affair. They made the process public. And by the end of the day, it was not just a matter of sentencing the father and brother to death. It was the matter of causing publicity to the case when thousands of Azeri women were marching in a rally on her funeral, throwing their veils on her grave and making verses like, get rid of this horrible, terrible veil, forget that your life was once like a jail and so on and so forth. And this inspired a very gifted Azerbaijani sculptor, Fuad Abdurrahmanov, to make a statue of unveiled Muslim woman that was erected in 1959 under the Soviets. And the statue is still standing. It's, it's a beautiful figure mm, yeah. of a woman throwing down her veil. But you know, the sculptor had hard times making it because for him, the main idea was to show the heaviness of the veil as a wow. symbol of multi-centennial oppression, which goes all the way down on the pedestal. And when he was making the statue, technically he had a problem because anytime he put the veil on the model, it took a different shape. And that made him crazy. So what he did, <laughs> what does a sculptor do when he cannot properly dress the model? He undressed her. He made her totally nude and put her into a position, a pose of a woman throwing down her veil. So first he made her completely nude. And Is then it's serious. Fred, where did you find that information? Well, through, through the sculptors. And then he put a real veil on a nude statue. And looking on a veiled nude statue, he made the ultimate figure. So he made two figures to make one statue. But goddamn, look how sexy she looks on the model. <laughs> and she was erected on a tall pedestal. But then the Soviets built an absolutely horrendous building behind her. By the way, the idea was to build a replica of the United Nations General Assembly in New York. So look, this is the General Assembly, and that's what they wanted to build in Baku. But they didn't have those technologies to make the glass facade. So the idea was great, but it worked into something very poor. Horrible Soviet pseudo-skyscraper. But the interesting thing was that up until 1990s, when you were in Baku, it had, or mid-2000s, it had the office of National Bank of Iran on its ground floor. Mm -hmm. And you saw a woman throwing her veil down in front of the National Bank of Iran and with a mask on her background. So yes, I, 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 I love the delicious irony of that. Yeah, that's, that's but today, it's, today the building is turning to the Ministry of Labor and Social Welfare. So they made a beautiful facade. So what, what they couldn't do back in 1960s, they did now, and they made this wave that in a way reiterates the shape of the fallen veil. So today she has a beautiful background and the monument is still there, but I'm far from saying that Azerbaijan is free from gender problems. Well, there are. And interesting as it is, in a very recent period, just a couple of days ago, there was a kind of movement of several young girls against domestic violence 
And what they did in Targove, which is Baku's main thoroughfare, a bunch of young ladies were standing in t-shirts deriding the traditional um, sayings that are used by mothers to assuage their daughters to kind of um, come, well, uh, to, to, to surrender to the violence, like behave as the woman should do or beating today, loving tomorrow. So they were kind of writing all those stuff on their t-shirts and standing like that to show their complete objection to this um, sort of ideomas, to these cliches. So it was a movement against the cliches through which the women are forced to get reconciled with yeah. the facts of domestic violence. And I'm, and I'm, af and I'm, I'm afraid one of, the, one of the big problems is, you know, even a century on, I mean, it's not, it's all over the world. It's there's still unequal world. And look at us, two guys discussing feminism. It's it's in itself. That's a little bit sad. But well, anyway. I can tell you one thing. Yeah. I always tell local women, I'm very much supportive of equality of men and women, of gender equality. But to the same extent, I'm opposed to the concept of sameness. Equal yeah. doesn't mean the same. And I'm vehemently opposed to feminism because I'm Today, I'm both Azerbaijani and Canadian citizen. And Canadian society, as many of the Western societies, is completely defeminized through feminism. So feminism may have a very negative impact when women try to become the same. And by doing that, they kind of lower themselves to our level. Well, for a, on that on that note, I'm afraid we, we're out of time. But what a very interesting note, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of uh, reaction to to those viewpoints. And uh, but it's always an enormous pleasure to to hear from you. Likewise, I, Mark. Likewise, and, and I'm and happy we made it. You, 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 your, your your studies, your research are always so deep and so intriguing. And I love your photos. You've been watching the Caspian podcast from from the Caspian Post and on thecaspianpost.com you will hopefully be able to see some of those photos very shortly. Thank you very much, Fouad. My pleasure, Mark. See you then. Mm -hmm.